Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. We want to welcome all of you who are joining us uh, on the live stream now. From time to time, there are certain things that are out of our control that prevent us from beginning the live stream until the sermon begins, and that's today. So we are glad to have you with us. Um, I think all of us have been out in public and maybe, like you say, a grocery store or something and seen some poor mom or dad with a little one who melts down, right? You know, they want something, they're getting it, and it's just like it just becomes this uh, terrible, hard thing to deal with, right? Uh, we all feel uncomfortable about that. What do you do? How do you act? You know, if you're right, right next to them, what do you uh, say, if anything? And I mostly I feel you know, uh, sorry for, usually it's a, a young mom who's there and just mortified, right? Um, but then there have been times there and other places where you see a young child that has just got it together, seems very well-mannered. You know, mom or dad say no, and they say, okay. You know, or they say, no, come here, or whatever, and they do it with a good attitude, and you say, man, you notice that, don't you? When, when a young child is, you know, just obedient and has that attitude and interacts with uh, their parents, and, and that tells us something about the relationship between those parents and that child, and uh, that it's obviously it's working, it's positive, and, and the child is responding well to whatever the parents are, are doing. And it, it, it's, um, it feels like a good thing, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a positive thing. And today we're going to see what God has to say, uh, not so much about us as little children, um, but us as his spiritual children. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under the chairs in front of you there somewhere. We'll be on page 1391 today, 1,391. We've been looking at uh, Peter's letter here for the last few weeks. And if you remember, he starts in the beginning, he's writing, he's writing to Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, who are spread over what's called Asia Minor, which is really a Turkey, modern Turkey and the surrounding areas there. And he talks to them about that they have salvation. They have a relationship with Christ through faith and, and that their relationship, they have a spot reserved for them in heaven. And that's all settled. And, and then uh, we get to verse 13, which we were in last week, and there's a change that happens. The first 12 verses, Peter is using uh, the indicative mood for his verbs, meaning he's just making statements of fact. He's saying, this is true, and this is true, and this is true. And he gets to verse 13, and he switches over to the imperative. And, and so somebody, so what, what does imperative mean? What is an imperative sentence? What's it mean? It's a command or a strong, this is the way it ought to be. Okay? It's not just a statement of fact, it's a statement of how things ought to be. And so in some sense, that's a command, and other times it's just a, a, a statement about it ought to be like this. And so he switches, he uses comparative. And last week we saw in verse 13 that, that there's some internal things here. 
gird up the loins of your mind. And if you remember, this is the idea of, of gathering all of, you know, your thoughts that go anywhere and everywhere. And sometimes you believe this and you believe that. And they really don't, they don't jive. They don't go together. And what's really true? So it's going to the Word of God and over time developing this view of the world that begins to bring all of those stray thoughts into alignment. Okay, so that you are ready to do whatever you need to do. And then he said, be sober, which is the idea of being serious-minded. Take serious the things that are serious. Focus on those things in your life and uh, live that way. Live consistently with that biblical worldview. And then he says, have an eternal perspective on life. That everything in the here and now is about more than just the here and now. Right? There's, obvious, there's always an eternal significance to the choices we're making and the way we're living our lives. So he's talking about our thought processes and how we view the world. But then we get to verse 14, he changes directions. It's really sort of a natural progression outworking. But in verse 14, he says, as obedient children. Okay? As obedient children. He's, he's switching over now to conduct, how we live, what we do. Now, so let me say this before we go any farther here. Not everybody is a child of God. Say what? Depends what you've heard growing up and what your thoughts are about it. The Bible does, uh, the Apostle Paul at one point talks about every human being being the offspring of God. And so we are his children in the sense of he's the one who created us, right, and brought us into existence, okay? But there's a different kind of relationship. When we actually talk about having a personal relationship with Christ, uh, talking about being a child of God and Him being our Heavenly Father, something has to happen in our lives for that to be true. And Jesus said it this way. He's talking to a, a, a man who came and asked him some questions that he's trying to figure it out. And Jesus said to him, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And really the idea is that you can't be part of God's family. You can't be a child of God without being born again. Now, um, I, uh, that term born again has really kind of become a challenge sometimes for people. I don't know about you, how many times I've talked to people, like a car show that had multiple conversations about Life, and then we get to talking about God, and we get to church. Sometimes they're talking about family or whatever, and and they might say, uh, you know, well, yeah, I have an uncle. You know, he's he's one of those born agains, <laughs> and they weren't really being mean. They were just trying to describe it, you know. And then every now and then, one of them would be talking and say, wait, wait, are you one of those born agains? <laughs> well, yes, but let me tell you what we mean, <laughs> right? I don't know what you mean by that, but here's what we mean by it. And so the reality is this, right? That um, we are born physically as human beings. But we're born with this nature that's contrary to God. We're born with a nature that is self-centered, right? A nature that wants what we want. And then we live that way. And so when we live that way, that means we're living contrary to what God said, because God says, if we love him, we love him, we'll do what he says. And he says, if we love each other like Christ loved the church, and when we're self-centered, self-focused, wanting to do our things our way in a way that's comfortable for us or to get something we want, any of those kinds of things, we end up going against what God has said. 
We break his commandments. We have sinned against him. He's a holy God, and we'll talk more about that today. Uh, and so our sins, we, we are spiritually dead. We're alive as human beings, but deep down inside the core of our being, we're spiritually dead. We have no spiritual life in us. And if we die in that condition, the Bible says we will experience the second death, which means for all eternity we will be in that condition, separated from God. And, and at best, the symbolism of a fire, lake of fire is a terrible thought, isn't it? And it may very well be literal. But that's where we are by nature. And so it is that we have to come, uh, what, Jesus, what God did for us, he loved us, he sent his son Jesus into the world, he lives a perfect sinless life, he goes to the cross willingly, he dies there, and as he dies, the Bible says that the Lord laid on him the iniquity or the sins of all of us. He died somehow paying the penalty for the sins of the whole world, rises again three days later as we sang about, right? He's victorious over death. And... Uh, so where we are at is we start off as this, this person who's spiritually dead. We're not part of God's family. If we will acknowledge that that's our condition. Gee, I am lost. I have, I have, obviously I must have a sinful nature because of how I live and I've disobeyed God and I'm in trouble because of it. But I believe, you come to say, I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. And I believe that he did what the Bible said he did, that he died for my sins and rose again. And so by faith, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to trust Jesus as my Savior. And by Savior, we mean to save us from the penalty of our sins. And the moment that we come to that and say, okay, God, I do. I'm trusting. I don't uh, understand everything there is to understand, but I do understand this about me and about what you've done. And so I trust Jesus as my Savior. And, uh, you know, because we can't fix it ourselves. And so we're going to trust him. And at that moment, he forgives every sin, never to be held against you in eternity. He forgives you completely. He gives you eternal life. You have eternal life at that moment. And from then on, because guess why? Because he moved in. And he's eternal. And so you now have his life where you were spiritually dead and had no spiritual life. Now God himself has moved in and you have come spiritually alive. And you, so that's what it means to be born again. All right? You, now you have a spiritual life. Just like you were conceived and received life there as a human being, the moment we believe, we receive the life of God, eternal life. And so we are born again spiritually. We become part of his family. We become Children of God. So set all that. For, by the way, if you haven't done that, if you haven't made that decision, really settled this once and for all in your life, I encourage you to do it. You can do it right now, just in your own heart. Say, God, that's me, and I'm, I'm going to trust. Or if you have questions, talk to one of us. We'd love to help you with that. Um, but here's the point. That's how we become a child of God. And so all that we're going to look at today when he says, okay, Talking about salvation, about how you view the world, and now we start saying that we should live as obedient children. You can't do this, what we're going to talk about today, unless you are one of his children. And so it must start, must, absolutely must start with receiving Christ as Savior, being born again into the family of God. And then you are a child of God. And then you can become an obedient child of God. All right, so let's go back here and let's, let's do some more reading. 
Verse 14, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, as when before you were a child of God. Don't go back there. Verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. That's what God said in the Old Testament. And if you call him the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. We're going to talk about what that means. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And if you receive Christ as Savior, that's where your faith and hope is. Father, we come to you and ask you to help us understand your word, some of the things that you're saying here, Lord, today, that we might be able to give some good, clear thought to what it means to be obedient children for you. And um, we ask you to work, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. In this passage, he says, live as obedient children. And what we see, there's four marks of obedience in this passage. This is not everything there is to know about obedience by a long stretch, okay? Uh, and, and I don't know how you feel about that, that idea of uh, obedience. And, you know, do you like to be told to obey? That's a warm, fuzzy feeling you get, right, when we talk about obeying or obedience. But it really isn't like that because you think about it. God, who knows better than anybody about everything, how things are supposed to work, he knows what's best for you in every possible situation. And he says, so do this. Live this way. Is that a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. Everything he tells us to do is for our well-being. And so it's really a positive thing. So if you have that, that kind of negative feeling about obedience, try to set that aside for a minute. Let's, let's focus in here. So we want to see four marks of obedience in this passage. So let's go uh, to verse 14. And he says, as obedient children. Okay, so what is, now we get some marks. First one is this. Not conforming yourselves to the former lust." as in your ignorance, <clears throat> all right? So if we could put a timeline here in our lives, right? And so here's the point, let's say, where I receive Christ as Savior. For me, April 4th, 1975. Uh, so before that in my life, I lived out of that selfish, self-centered approach to life, a sinful approach to life. That doesn't mean everything I did was a bad thing, but it was still me calling the shots, me going my way, doing the things that I thought were right, and sometimes just the things I wanted to do, even though they weren't right, right? So I'm living this way, and I was ignorant. I didn't understand what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. Not until I was 19 years old, and I finally came to that point where I was exposed to the gospel, heard it, was able to think about it and talk with people about it, and I finally realized where I was at, and I received Christ as Savior. Okay? My life began to change because I became spiritually alive inside and he worked on that and then the word of God coming in and other Christians. I started to make changes in how I live. 
Not perfect. You know how I know that? Because I'm still not. <laughs> I'm still a work in progress, okay? But I'm making progress and, I'm, and I'm, I'm doing better. And very purposefully, I do not want to go back and live the way I lived before I received Christ as Savior. And that's what he's saying here. You see that? Don't go back and live this lust. That word lust means the desires, the strong desires. Uh, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in you were when you're ignorance. Before you got saved, don't go back this. You need to go this direction. Keep moving forward with the Lord. So God's children are obedient. First thing we would say is when they are making progress as Christians. God's children are obedient when they're making progress as Christians. Now, progress is not about where you are in the process. It's which direction you're moving in the process. Um, when you take a child to the doctor, you know, they always weigh them and measure their height, and, and then they'll tell you, well, your child is 50th percentile, right in the middle. Your child is 89th percentile, very on the high end, or your child is on the low end. You know, somebody always has to be the one percentile, right? That's the way statistics work, okay? Somebody's always got to be there. And that's not a problem. The problem is, is over time, are we seeing any progress? Is the child growing from the last time we said? They might still be one percentile, but are they growing, you know, taller since the last time? Are they gaining weight since the last time we saw them? Okay, and so it's the idea of making progress, moving in the right direction. Do you know, um, even the apostle Paul saw himself as needing to make progress? I say April the 4th, 1975. Do you think I need to make any progress at that point? Yeah. But I would say to you today, October 3rd, 2021, I need to be making progress. And the Apostle Paul felt that way. He said these kinds of things. He says, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. And this is a guy who is going around the world preaching the gospel, who's writing Bible. Okay? Or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or, or arrived here. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so he, he hasn't arrived, but he says, I'm pressing ahead. I keep working on it. I keep going forward. There's, there's a goal out here, and I'm working toward that. And then he continues. He says this. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. As many of us as are mature. So I've been saved a long time. He says, all of us who are mature, actually a lot of you have probably been saved for a long time. You've been in the family of God for a long time. He says, as many of us as are mature, we should what? Think this way, that I still need to do what? What do I need to do? And be moving forward. Making progress. Okay? And then... Um, Again, let us to the degree that we've already attained. All right, so we're talking about making progress as Christians. So we need to evaluate 
ourselves in these things. You know, how do I know if I'm making progress? Um, let me see here. Just realized I forgot to put my notes out. First thought is this, that progress or growth means change in the right direction. Okay? That's what we think about. Because it's not just change. And, and by the way, I hate to tell you that. that if you're going to make progress, you've got to make changes. One thing I've noticed is that people aren't real excited about making changes, including me. Unless it's my idea. And then I think it's great. Okay? Uh, but it is change. There is no growth without change. There is no progress without change. But the key is that it should be in the right direction. Right? But anyway, so you can evaluate yourself with these kinds of questions. Do I know scripture better today than I did a year ago? Okay, do I? Is prayer becoming a more consistent, more important part of my life? And by the way, sometimes you might answer, well, I've already, that's already a big part of my life. Okay, is it continuing to be a part of your life? By the way, I would say that if you've done something for one year that's really important, and then you do it for a second year, even though it's the same thing, that that's progress? Right? I'm making progress. I'm moving forward, doing what's right, living the right way, thinking the right ways. Am I doing better as a witness, sharing my faith a little more consistently, more effectively? Am I more connected with my fellow Christians, encouraging them, challenging and helping them, and being encouraged, challenged, and helped? Am I pursuing relationships with other Christians like that? Am I learning, growing, and doing better in those parts of my life that need some significant changes, like maybe my habits need? I need some, and I'm still working on some of those things. Health issues, maybe that. Finances, relationships, whatever. Am I growing as a Christian in those areas of my life? And maybe any other kinds of changes the Lord has laid on your heart, right? Because sometimes there's specific things that we get, I really need to to deal with this and change. Are you making progress on those things? Evaluate yourself. You know, and if you're making progress in all these areas, right, praise the Lord. Keep it up. Don't stop. And if you're not making progress in all of these areas, I think you're ready to take it up with the Lord and say, Lord, I need to start doing this. Help me to start doing this. I need to do something to make some progress. And, and then they say this, that progress in our lives, it's about much more than where we are at at this moment in time, okay? When it comes to progress and growth, change in the right direction, direction is always more important than location. From where God's coming from and what God is looking for us in our hearts and our minds. Because this is the idea. If, if, this is, if God is saying, I'm not using this as a timeline now, but I'm just saying, if God is saying, go this direction in life, you know, think this way, do those kinds of things, and I'm way over here at the beginning. I'm just understanding, I'm just learning. And, oh, okay, and I start in this direction. Okay? Keep that in mind. What if I've been around for years and I know all this stuff and I've lived this way a lot, and, but now I'm kind of like, going in the wrong direction. Because I'm starting, I just, I'm doing my own thing. I'm not paying attention. I'm going in the wrong direction. Even though I'm way over here, which of these places is better to be? 
It's better to be, it's not the one who's further down the line. It's better to be the one who's moving in the right direction. Because if, I'm, if I don't know anything or I barely know a little thing and I say, oh, I'm going to do that. And so I'm trusting God and I'm stepping out and I'm going this direction. I'm obeying God. I'm surrendered to him. He's working in my life. And it doesn't matter. I've been a Christian for how many years? What's 1975 to four, 46 years I've been a Christian. And I kind of say, yeah, I'm frustrated with this. And I start going this way. Am I honoring God? Well, I know so much Bible. <laughs> I give so much money. Yeah, but Walt, where's your heart? What's up with your heart? Why are you headed in that direction? And so I want you to understand this. Everybody can be encouraged by this, that wherever you are in the progression of what it means to be a Christian, move in the right direction. And, and you are right with God, and he will work in your life. If you aren't moving in the right direction, you're not right with God in the sense you aren't living the way he wants you to. And he will work in your life as well, but in different ways to get you to turn back around. And so this idea of making progress is crucial. Um, that's part of what it means to be an obedient child of God. Make progress. Keep going forward. All right, so let's look back here in the passage again. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, how you're living, your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I think that goes back to Leviticus uh, in the law, God telling his people, be holy for I am holy. Verse 15 again, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in part of your conduct. You be holy in most of your conduct. Except for those couple things you don't want to. No, no, I'd be holy in all your conduct. All right, so let's talk about holiness a little bit. What does holy mean? Well, it has a, a very literal meaning, but then that has, gives it rise to a very practical meaning. Okay? The very literal meaning of holiness is the idea of having been set apart for God. You have been made holy. When, in, in the Old Testament, when they would make items, let's say a clay pot to use in the temple, they would take the clay and they would make it. It's just regular clay. It's ordinary clay. They make it and you know, make the pot. But then when they would give it to the temple to be used in the temple, it's now considered holy. And what makes it holy is because it has now been set apart only for the temple. That's all it's to be used for. It's never, you don't take that pot home and cook your supper in it and then bring it back. It's been turned over to God. It is holy. So that is the root meaning of his holiness. When we receive Christ as Savior, what has God done with us? He's made us holy. What did he do? We, we belong to the kingdom of darkness. And now he takes us and he, he, the Bible says he translates us from that kingdom into his kingdom. We have now been set apart to him. We are made holy. Now, just like that pot that went into the temple, guess what? We're never supposed to be used for anything else other than God's purposes ever again when we become holy. All right? And that means that everything that we do should be consistent with God and his ways and his purposes. Now, the practical part of this comes down to then that God, who is holy, we're to be holy as he is holy. There is no sin in God. There's no evil in God. There's no 
pull to sin. We all know the pull to sin, don't we? We all know there's times and places where we are eh, pulled. God's never pulled. It just isn't a part of who he is. It is not there at all. And so therefore, as we're making progress, one of the things we want to be making progress on is, is bringing our lives into line with, our conduct in line with, it's, it's more and more holy. It's more like God because we belong to God and we want to do what he says. All right, so how does that work? How, first, how important is holiness? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, the second mark of obedience, being a child, is this, that God's children are obedient when they are becoming purer in their thoughts, their choices, and actions. Okay? And purer applies to lots of things. What we mean purer is we mean more and more like God and the way he wants and less and less of what's not like God and what he wants. Okay? We're becoming holy, becoming pure in our thoughts, our choices, and our actions. So how important is holiness in heaven? Well, if you read about heaven, you, you read and it says there that every time you show up in heaven, we see the glimpses of what's going on in heaven, that there are these creatures that were made for one purpose only. These, these amazing creatures that all they do, day and night, is, is declare God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. It says night and day they do this and they do not cease from doing it. Why? Because they have not yet adequately declared the holiness of God. How holy is God? I mean, it's so important that he has these creatures even declaring it all of the time. We see it from the beginning of time to the end of time in the scriptures. It's so very important. But how about for us here on earth? How important is holiness? Well, the author of the book of Hebrews says this. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You can't make it to heaven without holiness. You mean I have to live holy to make it to heaven? Okay, now think about it. Do you have to live holy to make it to heaven? What do we know about the gospel? Now we can't live holy. The only way we can live holy is if God saves us and changes us, and then we can learn to live holy, okay? All right, so look what, this is the good news here. Go ahead, 2 Corinthians there. For he made him, God the Father made him Jesus, who knew no sin, there was no sin in Jesus, to be sin for us. He took my sin and your sin. He did that for us. He took our sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, he takes his holiness and puts it on my account. If we can, you know, there's accounting, right? I have all of my sins and it's a mess. And then Jesus has his perfect holiness. And it says, when he died, he took my mess. And when I believed, he gave me his holiness. Okay, that's on my account. That's the way God will treat me in heaven. Holy, like Jesus. But living here, we aren't there yet, are we? We're still this work in progress, okay? And so he, but the, what I want you to see is that holiness is extremely important. 
Extreme important. First, we got to be saved. We have to receive Christ as saved. Like I told you, we have to be born again, whatever. That's when he makes us holy so we can go to heaven. And then we got to start learning to live that way in our conduct. That's what he says here. And Peter says, in your conduct, learn to be holy. All right. Holiness, very, very important in our lives. You know, so think about this. When we're talking about what's holiness and we're thinking about our lives, you know, pure in our thinking, our choices, our actions. Um, I try to think of analogies of what would help us to comprehend what's going on. Um, and I think if you, I mean, let me just say this first. And it's going to give you a wonderful picture. How many of you have, you know, ever experienced a garbage bag that got left in the sun? And the, oh, I gotta go throw this away. How bad is it, Dave? Brutal, he says. <laughs> That's right, and out here we have the dumpster and it sits in the sun all summer and we, we put trash, you know, put the oxygen mask before you go. We get that, right? So, you have this, at your Thanksgiving dinner, all this wonderful food and then we have a bowl of that garbage. How much of that do you want on your plate? None, right? That's what you want. You want none of that. What I want to say is in our lives as we live for the Lord, this stuff that needs to go is like that garbage. It's, it's, we, we don't want it. And, and how much of it do we want? Well, I really want to hang on to put a little on my plate just for old time's sake. I mean, no, we want to try to get rid of all, don't we? So, what we want to do is we go through life and we, we want to learn about the holiness of God. We want to learn what his word says about what's good and right and true. And, and then that'll help us to identify the things that aren't. And so we want God's holiness and, and our understanding of it and how we're trying to live to become like a filter. That, that is a filter that doesn't let unholy stuff get in our lives. Now, let's just face it. You go out and live in the world tomorrow or the rest of today, are you going to be exposed to ungodliness or unholiness? Most likely, right? I mean, if you get out there, oh, that's, that's there, I get that. But what we want to do is make sure that, that what we see and what we hear and the choice that we make don't take that ungodliness and unholiness and bring it in. And so we want God's holiness to become like a filter to us that, that what we're watching I mean, the problem is you can watch something and you say, man, that was 95% good. Not that anything has to be perfect, that's not the point, but you, you look and say, you know what? But that 5% in this movie just really isn't good for me. It's not good and it's not presented in a, you know, a biblical view or anything. I just, I need to, so I need to not watch that. Let me be real open with you here. For me, there are um, things, just news stories, Sometimes there are news stories that are very sensationalistic about, you know, what they're talking about. And I see the headline and, uh, you know, you can tell usually if it's a sensationalistic headline, you know that it's probably not something you really need to. <laughs> I mean, if there's a sensationalist, sensational headline about new ways to use marshmallows, I'm okay with that. But if it's a sensationalistic story about this terrible sexual sin crime that was committed and it's just you know there are times I just say I'm just not going to read that 
You know, because I know, I just know that that's not good. For me. I don't need to take that in. And I'm not talking about hiding from something you need to know. If you need to know it, God will give you grace to deal with it. Okay? Uh, and even if something slips through, you don't realize that God will give you grace to deal with it. But I'm saying we need to consciously, if we're going to become pure, we need to think, what am I watching? What am I listening to? Uh, even sometimes, who am I hanging out with, right? Uh, and we need to hang out with people who don't know Christ and get that. But you still have to balance that, right? What's happening in your life with that? Whatever. And filter those things out. That God's holy. And so that's, if we're going to be obedient children to God, we can't just take whatever comes. We have to make decisions about where we're going with our lives, what we're going to take in, what's acceptable, what isn't. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes, talks about one of the things that we need to focus on is determining what's acceptable to the Lord. Okay, so we, we need to be doing that. So we're becoming pure in our thoughts, our choices, and our actions. All right, the third one. Let's go here to verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. So God, God sees us, right? Does God know what's going on in your life? Does he know what you're thinking? You know what you're feeling? He knows it all. And he does evaluate it, doesn't he? I mean, it's easy for him to evaluate it because he knows it all perfectly, but he, he makes an evaluation of those things, okay? He is the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. And then Peter says this, So, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In fear. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> well, I think even in the context here, and as we look through trying to flesh this out in Scripture that um, this has to do with this, an awareness that God is always present in my life. God always knows what I'm thinking. He always knows what I'm doing, even when nobody else does. He knows all those things, and he does make a judgment about those things, whether they are good or right, whether they're acceptable or not acceptable. He does that. And so as I become more aware of that, so I find myself facing temptation coming from the world. Maybe I didn't even ask for it, but it's there, and it pushes those right buttons, wrong buttons, however you want to think about it, in my life. And I face a temptation. Wait a minute. God is here, isn't he? He's with me right now. He sees us. He knows us. Now, in one sense, we could say, oh, yeah, okay, I shouldn't do it because God has seen me. But it's also, God, you're here. Help me with this. He's present in my life. But so God's children are obedient when they are mindful of God's presence in their lives. You know, Scripture reminds us that when, once we receive Christ, he's always present. He moves in, never goes away. And the Old Testament talks about like this, that God is our refuge and our strength. A what kind of help? A very present help in trouble, go ahead. He says, I am, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you when you're doing well. I'm with you when you're not doing well. I'm always there with you. Okay, then go to the next one. For he, oh, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always present. And, um, and so when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's talking about seeing him as this awesome, holy, amazing, right? And, and if, I'm, if I don't belong to him, scary. That's the nice thing about this, this fear of the Lord is because once you receive Christ as Savior, you don't have to be afraid of God anymore. 
If you haven't received got Christ as Savior, you have reason to be afraid. But once you receive Christ as Savior, you don't have to be afraid. Yet this is the word that's used to communicate this awareness of his presence and his holiness and a mindfulness about all of that. But look, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It, just in the book of Proverbs alone, it says all these things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. It prolongs your days because of the choices that you will make because of it. It gives you strong confidence. It's a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death and the instruction of wisdom. And by it, one departs from evil and it leads you to life and not just physical life, but life, fullness of life the way God intends, which is the next one, enables you to abide in satisfaction and not be visited with evil and riches and honor and life are tied up with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. Having this ongoing awareness of his presence in your life is a good thing. And does anybody besides me ever realize that you just lived the last six or eight hours of your life and really didn't give much thought to God? I didn't even do bad things, but I really didn't give much thought to God. And so one of the things that, that I am seeking the Lord about and saying, God, I want to become much more aware of your presence in my life. I want to be more conscious of your presence as I go through. You know, if Glenda and I are going someplace, even if she isn't right there with me, I have this awareness that she's there with me. Well, I want that same kind of awareness with God, you know. And, and I, at being obedient children, we want to progress toward that. Okay, being mindful of God's presence in our lives. And then finally, come down to um, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. And he's talking about their religious traditions and he says all your religious stuff, it was aimless. It, there's no point to it. That's what that word means. It's without purpose. It's waste. And so he's talking about their past religious beliefs. Don't do that. But this can apply to so much in our lives. What are we doing in our lives that it's aimless? That's without purpose. And, and as Christians, we can do that. Uh, we ought not do that. Um, so this. Then Christians, uh, are, God's children are obedient when they're living purposefully for Christ. And we really need to give thought to our lives. We talked last about girding up the loins of our mind, right? And looking at life and thinking about it biblically. And this is where that really comes into play. I want to live purposely. I want the choices that I make to matter. I want them to, to be moving me in the right direction. You know, I do not want to experience the truth of what Jesus said when he talked about it. He says, for what profit is it? Go ahead. If a man, he, if, if, to a man, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his so, and we're not necessarily talking about salvation. It could be if someone's choosing not to get saved because of something. But even for Christians, you know, you can lose your soul. Not unsaved, but the idea is it gets used for other things. Your soul, you, you waste your soul. All that God wanted to do with you through your soul is not happening. Aimless, purposeless. And he, Jesus says, what benefit is that? And so I want to challenge us. And by the way, you can be a very disciplined person. You can be, have purpose and, and live for, you know, those things. Because, you know, I've known people in business who were just very goal-motivated and living for, you know, very purposefully the choices they were making and all that. But I want to say to you that 
well, that's all well and good. If your life is not about on purpose living for Jesus Christ, you're wasting your life. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how, what your status is, what possessions you have, how nice your family is. It doesn't matter. You've made the wrong trade. And so what you want to do is live purposefully in a way that honors God, in a way that aligns with the Lord and what his purposes are for your life. Um, think about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, some of you may not know what I mean when I say that. There's two really big judgments that are going to happen at the end of time. One is called the great white throne judgment, and that's where God and his holiness judges those people who have chosen not to believe who are not, have not received Christ, and, and he's going to judge them on the basis of their works, which are going to show that they are unsaved and that they are worthy of hell. Okay? That nobody wants to be at that one. Everyone who says, God, I don't want to be at that one. I trust Jesus, my Savior, and, and we're sincere in that, and he saves us and forgives us. Now, we will stand at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And this judgment is not about whether you're good enough to make it to heaven. That's already settled. You aren't. Jesus is. You got saved. He's taken care of that. But what it's about is how have I lived my life? And it's really it's about this point. Have I lived my life purposefully for Christ? Because you're going to look at all this and you're going to see all of those things in your life. Uh, we can say good and bad, but you're going to see those things in your life that, wow, this was done for Christ with the right attitude and and man, that's awesome. And, and you get rewarded for that. And then, oh, this, this section here, you were just doing your own thing. You convinced yourself that it was good and you knew it wasn't. And you know what? That's, that's just gone. It's wasted. In fact, it says, the Bible says it'll be burned up, gone. But you're going to be evaluated. And so um, I used to sing uh, songs many years ago in, in church by a fellow named Lanny Wolf. And one of his songs, one of the key lyrics is this, only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Can a Christian waste his or her life? Don't. An obedient child lives purposefully, lives the way the Lord wants him to live. And uh, we're gonna stop there. And so there's the four things, obedient children, right? God's children are obedient when they're making progress as Christians, when they're becoming pure in their thoughts, choices, and actions, uh, when they are mindful of God's presence in their lives and they're living purposefully for Christ. And so let me encourage you, be an obedient child. Grow in these things. You know, the places that you're stuck, maybe ask someone to help you. Let's just, let's go forward with the Lord. I mean... Do you know that God just amazingly blesses people who submit themselves to him? And I'm not saying in any specific way. It can even just be in the heart, the blessing, whatever. But he blesses us. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it to work on becoming an obedient child of God. I promise you, and it's not just on, it's on the basis of what God himself says. You will never regret a choice to be an obedient child of God. You will never regret it, and you will regret any other choice. 
Father, we come to you today and thank you for your word. And we do desire, I, I, I'm sure, Lord, those of us who know you here today to be obedient children to you. Please work in our lives. Help us to grow in these things we've looked at and talked about and other things, Lord, that you will bring our way and show us. I pray we would just yield our hearts. We surrender to you and say, okay, God, I want what you want. And I'm a mess. I need your help. Help me. But I want what you want. Surrender ourselves to him. And if you've never received Christ as Savior, that's what needs to happen. And Father, I pray that you would take us from here today mindful of what your word has said and what your spirit has spoken to us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.